I'll try this one again, hopefully no interruptions. A very thin man goes into a car dealership and is looking at cars. Hey, look over there! Do you see them? <gasps> it, it's cursed paintings! Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2. This is Matt, once again joined by Angel. Thank you all for joining us for another episode of this insane show. So just a quick question for you, Angel. I know we want to get into this topic today, but this past week, I was doing some thinking of the days of yesteryear. Some reminiscing, if you will. See, in our past years, we both dabbled a little bit in the art of screenwriting. For about 17 years, I have had a pet project of a screenplay. A little tiny movie, the little movie that could. It's called Night of the Zombie Programmers, a 1980s zombie action comedy movie. At about the same time you went a separate path, you started a completely separate screenplay that delved a bit into Colombian history. I haven't asked you about this project in a long time, so I'm interested to hear how it's been going. If I recall, it surrounded the Colombian holiday, Boyosa Day. For our listeners who don't know, this holiday is always celebrated I was surprised by this, on the 7th of August every year. Some more background, so in 1819, Colombia was known as New Granada and involved in a war for independence from Spain. Bogota was seen as a strategic location for both the Republicans and the Royalists to hold, and so both armies, you know, they were heading to secure the town. So some 150 kilometers north of Bogota, the forces met at a bridge over the Tiatinos River. The Republican army consisted of Colombian and Venezuelans, and with some support from the British Legion. The army was led by Brigadier Generals Francisco de Paula Santander and Jose Antonio Anzalatogui. So, in two hours, they defeated the Royalist Colombian Venezuelan forces. Even though fighting with the Royalists continued for a few years after that, and everyone knows this part, but I'll say it just for so the ones that don't, you know. They're involved too. The victory at Boyosa is seen as the definitive battle in the war and the precursor for Colombia's eventual independence from Spain. So how is the screenplay coming along, Angel? I know you were thinking at the time about doing sort of an alternate history sci-fi thriller, and I, re I remember these words. You s described it as a serious, dark and gritty take on Bill and Ted. Is that still the case? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And I'm so well-versed in this that I will have to correct your pronunciation. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, the battle. This battle in Spanish is La Batalla de Boyacá. Oh, thank you for that correction. <laughs> yes. Fact check me, please. The basis of my storyline. You know, I love chocolate so much. You know, we've talked about this before. Yep. Uh-huh. The, the two main characters, uh, the Bill and Ted types. The gritty Bill and Ted. They find a mine full of uh, cacao plants. <laughs> Why they're growing in a mine? Why are they in the mine? <laughs> they're growing. Well, that's 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 exactly the plot. They're, they're trying to find out why they're growing in the mine, but at the same time, they they're like, oh man, we can make chocolate from these, and that's how they start the chocolate empire, which leads eventually to that battle, all because of the special 
uh, special kind of cacao plant that grows inside of a mine instead of like in the jungle. It's mm-hmm. it's wild. It's, it's it has like more earthy tastes, I would think, right? It well, I mean, you're gonna have to watch the movie to find that out. <laughs> I, I describe everything about them, you uh-huh. know. It's, yeah. it's, it's you know, but maybe you know. I mean, it's just a little, a little, a little, a little hint, you know. The sci-fi part comes in when they realize that maybe the plants weren't there originally. And by there, I mean on planet Earth. Oh, no. Yeah. Did they... Oh, that opens up a lot of different avenues that this story could go. Like, are they... Rather than going through time, I mean, world lines, alternate dimensions. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, it all starts with some extraterrestrial chocolate. You know, every every good movie does. I don't know of one that hasn't started that way and was a bad movie. So, did you ever come up with the title? Yeah, it's called Chocolate de Boyacá. That's that's a good title. <laughs> it's a holiday for a reason, right? Yes. And we need to celebrate it. Yes, it's a it's a. It also you know I also like to make the country come alive so. It's it's kind of like a tribute to to, to Columbia, the the movie, the screenplay, and chocolates in general. I mean, right? Yeah, chocolates <laughs> in general. I like to throw in a little bit of everything I do. You know, I have trains in there. <laughs> so some... this was like a amalgamation of all hobbies in one story. Well, I mean, you, you write what you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's gymnastics, there's there's spherical <laughs> mud compressions. <laughs> It's all it's all there. Good. I can't wait. Hopefully it's not another 17 years until it finishes, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, with everything else going on, I don't know. Well, there's new hobbies being popping up all the time. You just got to put them in the screenplay. Exactly. Just, at this point, it's probably like 300 pages long. <laughs> I have to trim it down a bit. <laughs> Some serious editing a lot needs of those, to occur in this screenplay. <laughs> like about 200 of those pages is just me describing all the hobbies. <laughs> So I, I realized maybe this isn't relevant. <laughs> but then you then you uh, you second guess as a writer. It's like, well, maybe this will be what ties it all together. But the people want to know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the lore of the world. The, your world building, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm world building. <laughs> well, Angel, with that being said, why don't we take a look at a pair of news articles that we've seen recently? The first one being... Uh, this one's from msn.com. We're we're moving away from unexplainedmysteries.com. That's usually our go-to website. This time, MSN is being powered through us. It's mainstream. To, uh, yep, we're going mainstream <laughs> with CBS News is the uh, actual uh, news source for this. And it says, mysterious monolith discovered in Utah desert. So it goes on to say, Angel, a public safety crew flying over southeastern Utah found an unusual monolith in a remote area of the state. The sleek metal structure embedded in the ground is at least 10 feet tall, and no one seems to know how it got there. The Utah Department of Public Safety, DPS, said Monday that Aero Bureau and Wildlife Resource Officers were conducting a count of bighorn sheep last week in Red Rock County when they spotted the object and landed nearby to investigate further. Videos and photos released by DPS show the crew exploring the metal monolith. At one point, one DPS officer climbed onto the shoulders of another, slightly reaching over the top of the structure. DPS said there was 
no obvious indication of who put it there, leaving its origins a mystery for now. Hutchings, a DPS helicopter pilot, told KSL-TV that the unexplained 10 to 12 foot high structure is the strangest thing that I've come across out here in all my years of flying. However, he had some theories of what it could be. I'm assuming it's some new wave artist or something, or, you know, somebody that was a big 2001 A Space Odyssey fan, Hutchings said. The object bears resemblance to the Black Monument of Stanley Kubrick's 1968 film that comes from an unseen alien civilization. Spoiler alert there, wow. <laughs> uh, DPS said it's illegal to install structures of art without authorization on federally managed lands. No matter what planet you're from, the Bureau of Land Management will investigate further. We were kind of joking around that if one of us suddenly disappears, then the rest of us make a run for it, Hutchings told the station. The department said it, it would not reveal where the monolith is located because the structure is in a remote area and tourists may require rescue if they get stranded. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on this one, Angel? Well, if it is a rogue artist, then clearly you can't get stranded. If somebody was able to do that. And bring it there. Yeah, and bring it there and set it up and then leave. So, tourists, please, find this thing. Unless it was an alien. Then don't. Don't find this thing. Um, I think it was funny that he was impl- it was implied that if, even if you're an alien, they got to answer to the land bureau, <laughs> the federal. <laughs> DPS is on your... They're watching. Come on, aliens. The... Uh, other thing I thought of, because they were conducting a count of bighorn sheep, that uh, maybe it Angel is a cover-up. They're not looking and counting for bighorn sheep. They're looking for the wild pigs related to the Hogzilla. <laughs> oh, no. And are ready to purge. Wait, could could this monolith somehow be a wild pigs situation? <laughs> or is it a beacon to draw them into it? And then <laughs> just slaughter hundreds and thousands of feral pigs like they should be because they destroy millions and millions and millions of dollars <laughs> each year uh of property yeah well i mean if it's a beacon if they're doing all this i don't understand why the cover-up like just let us know because i want to join in i'm tired of <laughs> i'm tired of the pigs controlling my life i don't yeah, of living in fear exactly. you're done with it i want to fight back well maybe this will be your chance maybe dps will change their minds let us in on their little <laughs> monolith secret, and it'll be your chance to show your quality. I'll say that. <laughs> yep. The other article that we have for this week is from unexplainedmysteries.com, believe it or not. Creature blamed for mystery bridge deaths. And the article goes on to say, A prophet is investigating a series of deaths attributed to a mysterious creature at a bridge in Zimbabwe. The anomalous deaths, which have all occurred near a bridge over the, the Mitsubezi River in Gwandentown, began all the way back in the 1970s when a number of male school pupils drowned in the river while collecting water. According to the stories, the victims report seeing a fish in the water before drowning. The survivors would then return to school to tell their teachers what had happened. Now, the same thing has been happening again, except this time the victims are all adult males. Prophet Malehu Moyo of the Zion Apostolic Church in Central Africa, who has been attributed with solving similar mysteries, has now been tasked with investigating the deaths. It still remains unclear exactly how the drowning occurs because the river is so shallow 
and the victims had stayed at the river's edge. Some of those who drowned were reportedly gold panners who had been there to bathe, and others had simply been there to collect water. Some suspect that a creature, such as a mermaid, might be grabbing or luring them into the river. Now it's suspected that the creature is now targeting men that will be bathing at the river, said Moyo. Each time someone drowns in the river, there are usually a series of funerals which follow, which are recorded in the town. It's like that drowning incident would have sparked or ignited some evil spirit which hovers around the town. According to Pastor Michael Nilovu, three people have already died at the river this year. We have to go through the correct procedures and inform the relevant authorities, he said. So far, however, an explanation to the mystery has yet to be found. So what are your thoughts on this mysterious, these mysterious deaths at the Zimbabwe Bridge, Angel? Well, I was under the impression that somebody saw some creature that did this, but now I'm hearing it's just speculation. Like and it's speculation it from the it 1970s of maybe seeing a fish before the guys, the kids drowned in the river. <laughs> I mean, it's like they're, it's like they're, um, you know, pulling at straws. Like they're trying to come up with something like people are dying how do we make this more sensational well i mean the profits on it moyo's looking into it i trust moyo he has everyone's <laughs> best interests i think we'll see how he does see if he can solve yet another mystery i don't know what his record is like it said he had looked into other similar mysteries maybe he's the go-to guy for this sort of mystery but we'll have to wait and see only time will tell Angel. <laughs> well uh uh Observer has made an interesting interesting point of insight. Says, sounds like some men who prefer not to bathe are like, oh, yeah, there's a monster, so I can't bathe today. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to the bathing river. I, <laughs> I'm done with that. <laughs> there's a freaking mermaid in there. But I don't understand how that observation relates with people dying. <laughs> yeah. Is, is there... Is Spring Hill Jack moved to Zimbabwe? Is oh, no. he now River Spring Hill Jack? <laughs> Just waiting and waiting and wait to kill at the river? Maybe. Now, Angel, I hope you still have your expedition outfits we wore on the Piazza episode as we traveled down the Mississippi River in search of that wondrous entity. As we are going on a new expedition, get that raccoon pelt hat snug on your head. It's snug. Yeah. An expedition outside our normal scope of mysterious entities and creatures, indeed even further outside the enigma known as John Titer. We are traveling into the world of curios. Against my better judgment, <laughs> I went to, to dictionary.com to relay the official, the official definition of curio to our listeners. I say better judgment because, Angel, as you well know, I have a combative history with dictionary.com. I went down the rabbit hole one day in research to find out some dubious things of the ownership of that website and the words that were being chosen for the word of the day to self-promote their own agenda. Yes, this is real. And <laughs> it is. that is, that is a, a topic for another, another day, maybe in another podcast in the works called Rocket Mortgage is not the word of the day. But anyways, <laughs> Curio is described as any unusual article, object of art, etc., valued as a curiosity. And unusual objects we indeed have to look at today. Cursed paintings. So paintings that have such a horrible 
aura and history about them. Many believe the only option is that a curse somehow surrounds these works of art. Now, while there are a, to use a Thanksgiving term, cornucopia of cursed paintings out there, we're going to specifically look at two of them. The first being The Hands Resist Him by Bill Stoneham, and the other called The Crying Boy by Giovanni Bragolin. So cursed paintings, Angel, they have the honor to be our first objects to enter the Rubric of Power Special Collector's Edition. So did you get what I did there, though? Because these items are often collected by people. I oh, thought I was okay. going to get a better laugh out of that. Oh, co collectors, yeah. I sort of feel like Rodney Dangerfield over here, getting no respect. But <laughs> I see you tightening up your tie. Yep. <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> like the normal rubric of power, this outlines a possible 20 points an object is scored upon. The categories are lore, properties, functionality and or purpose, craftsmanship, and then desirability. So Angel, I think the appropriate thing to do now is outline one thing. What the hell is a curse? That old dog, dictionary.com, claims a curse is the expression of a wish that misfortune, evil, doom, etc. befalls a person, group, etc. Also a formula or charm intended to cause such misfortune to another and the act of reciting such a formula. Anything you wish to add to that definition? Curses are bad. I'm sorry <laughs> to say this, Angel, but you wished it. Oh, no. The djinn from Wishmaster is going to make your life a living hell now. Oh, as no. he dissects your wish of curses are bad, and it's going to ruin your life. Damn it. You wished it into this universe. <laughs> I didn't use the words wish. It shouldn't count. <laughs> <laughs> it was framed in such a way. <laughs> So are you ready, Angel? As ready as I'll ever be. I was going to say, because if you weren't, it may just be that you are cursed forever to be stuck in Cotton Eye Joe's Razor. The axiom that states, for someone to have come from somewhere, they must therefore go somewhere. So let's first look at The Hands Resist Him by Bill Stoneham. Now, this painting is a double trouble, as it appears to be both cursed and possibly haunted. The story goes that artist Bill Stoneham painted... The Hands Resist Him in 1972. Stoneham had a contract with a gallery where he would provide two paintings a month, and at some point he was feeling a bit uninspired. So he read a bit of uh, his wife's poetry to find the spark he needed. The poem about Bill's experience of being adopted and never knowing his biological siblings is as follows. He is of the seeing visions. His strokes reveal them in a rush of color of madness of mystics. His head is the highest center. It must confront his enemy. The hands resist him, like the secret of his birth. His presence is the sanctum heartbeat, felt in darkness and in passion. It's sound, the sole gift to that silence. And that poem was written by, I believe it was his first wife in 1971. So with that poem in mind, Angel, could you describe to our listeners what the hands resist painting looks like? So, like, what do you see in this painting that really jumps out, grabs your attention? Well, the first thing that jumps out and grabs your attention is the two main characters in the foreground. A young boy and a little girl, but when you look closer, you realize it's kind of like a, a girl doll. Mm -hmm. Like a, a doll figurine. The boy's face is, I don't know how you would describe it, but it's like no emotion in it. Just staring dead right uh, straight ahead. And then 
Upon closer inspection, he's standing in front of a doorway. It's like a, a glass doorway. Mm-hmm. And, he, and it's dark behind him, except you see hands on, on the glass. Several hands. And only the hands. And only the hands, yeah. And to me, the little boy, uh, he looks to be, as I would imagine, a young Hank Hill from King of the Hill. He's <laughs> <laughs> getting ready to lead a life of propane and propane accessories. Another, I guess, portion of the little girl side of it, she appears to be like holding something, maybe some sort of cylindrical object with wires coming out of it, maybe like a battery of some sort. Yeah. But that will come into play in the future as well. Mm-hmm. In Stoneham's words, he says, when I painted the hands resist him in 1972, I used an old photo of myself at age five in a Chicago apartment. The hands are the other lives. The glass door, that thin veil between waking and dreaming. The girl or doll is the imagined companion or guide through this realm. While there seems no indication that Stoneham attempted anything malicious with this painting, there there is no claim that painted this curse into it or anything like that. It has just since gained a reputation in the years beyond its creation. Prior to leaving his contract with the gallery, there was a show of his work, and three people involved with this show ultimately met their death in an untimely fashion. The owner of the gallery was the first, and then an art critic from, I believe it was the LA Times, both died within one year of the show. And then the third person was the actor John Marley, who is best known as the guy in Godfather who had the horse head put in his bed. Hmm. He was actually the one that purchased the painting, but his death came many years later after complications from open heart surgery. It's the curse. I was going to say, anything particularly cursed jumping out at you, Angel? Yeah, people dying <laughs> when they deal with the painting. Curse 101. <laughs> the the man puts it in his gallery, dead. The guy that reviews it, dead. The guy that buys it, over a few years, dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, apparently, prior to his death, though, Marley sold the painting. So it gets worse. But this is, of course, where things you know start to get weird. At some point, the painting becomes abandoned and is found behind a former brewery turned art gallery. A couple finds it, brings it home, and as the old saying goes, the curse gets a cursing. (laughs) It's not a saying. (laughs) The family hangs the painting in their daughter's room, their four-year-old daughter's room, and she begins to complain about the painting. And this part I read from an article on uh, the website somethingwicked.com where the daughter would complain and told her parents how the children, as in quotes, in the painting would fight and how the girl would threaten the boy with the object she was holding in her hand. The girl told them, uh, the daughter, she told the parents that the figures would leave the painting as ghosts and continue their fighting, even suggesting that the doll or girl in the painting had a gun and was forcing the boy out of the painting. Put yourself in their shoes, Angel. You get a painting and you hang it up. Proud of this work, you know, you think it looks A+. It's, it adds to the feng shui of the room. Mm-hmm, Next thing mm-hmm. you know, the content of the painting comes into your plane of existence, and they start fighting each other, one of them brandishing a gun. Uh, what do you do? Well, they don't really do that, right? My daughter comes to me. Wait, how old is she? She's four years old. She's four years old, and she comes to me and says, they're coming out of the painting, right? 
So, yeah, I'm definitely going to believe her and say, let's get rid of this thing. <laughs> I mean, first, you, you, you have to question your parenting of putting this painting in a four-year-old child's room <laughs> as it is not aesthetically pleasing for that sort of uh, environment, I don't think. But uh, a side note, I think in an interview, Stonehand even said, like, wait, what? They put it in a four-year-old's room? <laughs> He's like, that's kind of stupid. <laughs> I don't know. I used to have a uh, happy clown, sad clown paintings in my room. <laughs> That's another cursed painting. I'm sure that we're going to be going into at some Those point. Those were in our future. my favorite. Okay, I don't know why everyone hates. You on actually clowns. liked? I did. Crying clowns. Wow. <laughs> well, I had a, the happy clown and the sad clown, and then I think the sad clown painting fell and broke. So then I only was left with the happy clown. Is that a good or bad omen? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it much. <laughs> Oh, no, the the sad clown brought this all upon us, <laughs> everything. It all goes back to that fateful day that the sad clown fell to its to the floor. Yep. Maybe the happy clown came out of the painting, you know, and Fought like, the... screw you, sad clown, throws him to the so ground. You're supposed to be happy. <laughs> yeah. And it goes back into his painting and lives his happy life. Yeah. In, in bliss. <laughs> so apparently for this family, though, enough was enough for them. Their their daughter saying the girl has a gun and is coming out of the painting it was enough for them to, you know, do what anyone would do in this situation. They sell it on eBay. Yep. <laughs> so this is the original listing for the painting. When we received the painting, we thought it was really good art. A picker had found it abandoned behind an old brewery. At the time, we wondered a little why a seemingly perfectly fine painting would be discarded like that. And they have in parentheses, today we don't. One morning, our four and a oh, she's four and a half. One oh. morning, our four and a half, it, that changes everything. Yeah. <laughs> our four and a half year old daughter claimed that the children in the painting were fighting and coming into our room during the night. And she says, now I don't believe in UFOs or Elvis being alive, but my <laughs> husband was alarmed. <laughs> okay. To my amusement, set up a motion triggered camera for the nights. After three nights, there were pictures. The last two pictures shown are from that stakeout. After seeing the boy seemingly exiting the painting under threat, we decided the painting has to go. She says, please judge for yourself. Before you do, please read the following warning and disclaimer. So before going into that, do you know anything about this disclaimer, Angel? Um, no, I don't. What do you think, what sort of disclaimer could or would somebody put on a a painting like this? That you, like uh, the contents exit the painting and fight each other in your room. I would imagine the disclaimer being that the the characters in the painting are not confined to just the painting. If you view it on your computer screen, it could happen there too. That's a, a, a reasonable disclaimer. Let's see <laughs> what they wrote. It says, warning, do not bid on this painting if you are susceptible to stress-related disease, or if you are faint of heart, or are unfamiliar with supernatural events. By bidding on this painting, you agree to release the owners of all liability in relation to the sale or any events happening after the sale that might be contributed to this painting. This painting may or may not possess supernatural powers that could impact or change your life. However, by bidding, you agree to exclusively bid on the value of the artwork with disregard to the last two photos featured in this auction and hold the owners harmless in regard to them and their impact, expressed or implied. Now that we got this out of the way, one question to you eBayers. We want our house to be blessed after the painting 
is gone. Does anybody know who is qualified to do that? The size of the painting is 24 by 36 inches, so it is rather large. As I have had several questions, here are the following answers. There was no odor left behind in the room. There were no voices or smell of gunpowder. No footprints or strange fluids on the wall. To deter questions in this direction, there are no ghosts in this world. No supernatural powers. This is just a painting, and most things have an explanation. In this case, probably a fluke light effect. I encourage you to bid on the artwork and consider the last two photographs as pure entertainment, and please do not take them into consideration when bidding. As we think it is a good idea to bless any house, we still welcome input into that procedure. It gets kind of intriguing at the end there, how they're saying this is entertainment. The, the two pictures that they are, are referring to they are from that, that stakeout that they did, that the husband set up a motion-sensing camera. The pictures, they show what appears to be the girl holding a gun. Maybe, as they're saying, the fluke light effect of the way that she is holding this battery or whatever the cylindrical object is, at the end of it, it perfectly aligns with the framing of the door. So it angles up and out of her hand like she is holding a handgun, pointing it at the child. And the other picture is more like a, a detailed one where the, the girl just sort of starts to look demonic in, in nature. So I guess intriguing in that aspect of it, of it, it, it looks like she's holding a gun. At this point, there becomes more claims about the painting's curse, this time from the viewers of the auction. So this sort of changes everything regardless of what the selling couple says. So over 30,000 people viewed the auction and reported some of the following things. That they felt ill and even a few fainted or have unpleasant experiences, whatever that may be. Vivid nightmares the night after seeing it and waking up screaming. Being touched by an invisible force and uh, one person who tried to print the image had their printer malfunction. Another saying an exorcist type voice came out along with a blast of hot air, presumably from their computer monitor. Another person reported that he became ill while viewing the painting and had to burn white sage to cleanse his house afterwards. And then finally, someone else claimed to have experienced blackout or mind control experiences. So mind control angel. That's did some... skunk ape paint this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is Bill Stoneham the skunk ape? That's a theory. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your thoughts, I guess, on these reports? Of, so we have a situation here where the eBay sale is being, is being presented as this is a haunted or cursed painting. But really, they had no knowledge of the people that had died in relation to it. They, were, they just found the painting. So they would have had no yeah. reason to you know, know about that portion of its history, but then still find, you know, have some sort of experience with it that is paranormal, you can say. And and then and then we have paranormal experiences from viewers that just right. looked at it. So what are your thoughts? Well, I'm a little I'm a little confused. Yeah, you, you, the description mentions the the what you just said about the the, the, the this part these people experiencing a paranormal experience, but then it continues on to say this is just entertainment. Yeah, like, well, to to just view the additional photos that they're presenting as evidence 
of the girl with the gun oh, okay. uh, as just as um, as pure entertainment. And I mean, they also say to deter questions in this direction, they say there are no ghosts in this world, no supernatural powers. This is just a painting. Right. See, that right mm-hmm. there is like, are they kind of trying to tell us that this isn't really haunted? We just kind of did this as a goof. <laughs> yeah, like to to give it value to sell, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's you know it seems a little off to me, but but then but then I guess how do you explain the the, the or other... what would your what would your thoughts be well, on then the the reports of people viewing it? So about the reports. So the thing about this is that this happened when back in eBay's heyday, back in mm-hmm. two thousand, you know around the same time the John Titer thing was happening, right? So oh Jesus, <laughs> so I'm not trying to say anything about oh, okay. that. I'm just saying that I'm just saying that you know we were. We were both on the internet when this was happening. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing this painting when it came up on the oh, eBay auction. Yeah. Um, actually, it was uh, one of our buddies that brought it up. He actually uh, mentioned that that what you just said, that people have been saying this is haunted. and My you know. Swiss cheese memory. Don't remember. <laughs> and, and, they, and, they, and they said uh, how they were um, afraid to click the link. Right, because they didn't want to no see way. the picture. No way, really. And and I was like, I'll do it. And I clicked it, and I saw the picture. I'm like, it's just it's just a little boy and and, and a doll, I guess. And there's hands on the window. And then that's <laughs> when your your sad clown fell off the wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think, and then others went and clicked on it and kind of confirmed that what I was saying. And I was like, oh, it's just that. And they're like, well, it's, there's nothing wrong with this painting. None of us felt ill then. I still don't uh-huh. feel ill looking at it now. I mean, so I don't know how uh, the credence. Of those reports, maybe they're, you know, just, again, the, the internet was becoming more mainstream, so people decided to have a little fun with this. Yeah, yeah, and like my first thoughts on it are, it gives, I mean, it gives the seller uh, a talking point to to build it up, to hype up the object. Yeah. Uh, and this sort of goes into now, like, the, the following portion of the axiom of where did it go? So the auction was won by Kim Smith, owner of Perception Gallery in Grand Rapids, Michigan, for the total of... $1,025, and I think the asking price, if I recall correctly, was $199. So was it the, the billing it as a cursed or haunted painting? Was it, Is that what's up to the price and that all these people then reporting uh, of it yeah. physically affecting them? Does that start getting the, the bidding war going? Yeah. However, Kim Smith has reported no strange occurrences since owning the painting. Maybe it was just a one-time expulsion of <laughs> of powers of the curse, and then it has since died down. But Stoneham himself was blown away by the claims of the painting. His explanation is, well, I've always had a connection to what Carl Jung called the collective unconsciousness. I think we all do. Artists, especially visual artists, are barometers for the currents that run through this collective. Dreams are a common experience people may have with this. Anyway, my own experience is a sensitivity to place, physical, geographical place. There are memories, echoes of all the life within a place. Maybe it's what's called channeling. I guess Stoneham saying that, you know, this idea of the collective unconsciousness in Jungian psychology, collective unconsciousness is the part of the unconscious mind, which is derived from ancestral memory, and experience is just common to all humankind as distinct from the, and is distinct from the individual's unconsciousness. So his thoughts is he possibly in some shape or form, like something was channeled 
from the brush to the canvas that connects us on a physical level of just looking at this painting and maybe that's unlocked like the ones that had some sort of physical experience did that unlock something in their unconsciousness that's caused this to occur what are your thoughts yeah <laughs> i mean if you looked at his samples on his website a lot of his art is very surreal uh it actually kind of fits my aesthetic i'm thinking of maybe buying one of them <laughs> You're, you're part of the, uh, not the Wendigo uh, aesthetic, uh, Wendigo I think it was called. You're part of the uh, Stoneham core. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so his, his paintings are, are very surreal, they, and it looks like they like to uh, tread that line of, you know, fantasy and reality kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if those um, experiences that people are getting from seeing that painting is being brought out by them, then I think the, the art is doing its job. But I guess ultimately, unintentionally, like Stoneham had no intentions of of, of having this effect on people. So. Well, maybe, but I think the the added story of, oh, this is a haunted painting kind of preset these people's minds when they viewed it. Yeah, I guess yeah, it, it primes their mind of like exactly like you were saying, a warning of, oh, my God, I'm going to look at a cursed painting. Yeah. What's going to happen? And get enough courage you click the the hyperlink and yeah. and you don't throw up on your keyboard like well i guess it doesn't affect me i'm yeah. immune to the curse i don't know <laughs> yeah you had your uh, monitor on the wrong hertz it, it, it didn't it didn't go through the <laughs> monitor the signal didn't come through yeah. properly <laughs> that's what it was maybe i don't know are curses affected by electromagnetic forces I don't know. <laughs> Too many questions now. I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> so do you have any last words on Stoneham's The Hands Resist Him? Well, I did I did mention John Titor earlier. <laughs> and I said there's no connection, but... But is there? I think there's a connection. <laughs> you see, he and uh, Stoneham struggled to provide for his family painting. And then he landed a few jobs in, in in movies and video games, doing like 3D modeling kind of stuff. He worked in ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, in, in 1984, and in 1992 he worked for Lucas Arts. So he must he gained some you know technical expertise. Now I'm gonna jump ahead here. In 1992, a little sequel of a of a subpar movie uh, was released, Terminator 2. Judgment Day, which is a A plus movie, okay, mm-hmm. and it just uh, you know expands on the whole uh, universe of of Skynet, computer becoming sentient and sentient, and then the robots and man fighting each other. So the main idea is that in twenty twenty nine is when Skynet uh, uh, becomes sentient, and then you know the wars against humans and machines begins. Now, what year was John Titor coming from? 2036. Right? That's just a few years after 2029. Now, I'm not saying Terminator is real because it's just a movie, right? But in 1995, another movie was released, uh, directed by Terry Gilliam. It's called 12 Monkeys, starring Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt. I don't know if anyone's seen that one. 
another fine film. It's about uh, main character Bruce Willis got sent back to 1992, I believe, to to stop some virus from spreading. He comes from the future, which guess what year it is? What year? 2035. That's one year prior to John Titor's coming back, right? Again, it's just the movie. The future depicted in it is not machines fighting humans like Terminator 2 or Terminator 1. But it's a very post-apocalyptic world. Everything's been, you know, ravaged and destroyed. John Titor's future, version of the future, doesn't seem that way, does it? No. He says everyone lives, you know, communally, you know, religiously. Yeah, he, he lives in the treehouse. Yeah. <laughs> but he did mention there was a civil war and then there was a world war after that. And how do you come back from that? Everyone's living peacefully now. Like, it doesn't make sense. It almost like he's trying to make us think something different about the future. Even though these movies depict something otherwise. Now, again, they're just films, right? Just fiction. So where does Stoneham come into this? In, what year was it? In 2014, Stoneham paints a self-portrait. It's titled Self-Portrait. Right? And it's a painting of this of this um, weird, organic, humanoid, robot-looking thing. You know, there's like um, wires, flesh-colored. And the face looks like a, a, a gas mask, but it's like part of the body. I don't know if you've seen this. <laughs> so how is that a self-portrait of, of, of Stoneham? Well, see, the thing is, I said it was titled Self-Portrait, but it's actually titled Self-Portrait 2037. <laughs> Answer me that. What am I trying to say here? <laughs> is Stoneham John Titor? I think so. I think so. That's a big allegation. I had to buckle up. <laughs> I had to get the buckle. <laughs> you better get that buckle. I'm gonna contact Stoneham and I'm gonna I'm gonna, gonna lay the these allegations questions. down. <laughs> the hard questions. Are you John Titor? Why did you make your portrait self portrait twenty thirty seven? What significance does that year have? Simple questions, really. John Titor had to go back to his world line. We don't know exactly if he saved the day, mm-hmm. there's no, there was no 100% guarantee that GE's time machine was going to uh, get him back to the to the correct world line, and he could help whatever issues with that legacy programming he had to, to deal with. Stoneham, the connection. Yep. The cursed John Titor connection. <laughs> That's the real curse. <laughs> you brought this into the world. <laughs> Now the Wishmaster will make it so. <laughs> no. It's a Wishmaster combined with the Topa uh, from the Santa Claus theories. Yeah. You're thought-forming uh, <laughs> bad things into this world. Yep. That's what season two brings, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the destruction of mankind. <laughs> oh, well. On to our other painting, then. <laughs> the Crying Boy by Giovanni Bergolin. So this painting, or really a series of paintings, depict a portrait of a street urchin boy, disheveled and dirty, with tears streaming down his face. 
The curse surrounding these paintings is that, specifically, in the UK, houses were burning down, and oftentimes the only object that did not burn was the crying boy. So this stems from a slew of reports in the ever-popular tabloid, The Sun, in 1985. The first reports tell of a family who had a kitchen pan incident that led to a house fire, a torched first floor, damage and devastation all around, and all that remained untouched was a rather cheap painting of a boy with tears streaming down his face, the painting seemingly still hanging on the partially destroyed wall. Alan Wilkinson, a firefighter, he shows up and he's basically like, ah, shit, another <laughs> one. And this is in reference to the painting being the only thing that survived the blaze. Thus, the curse begins. So shortly after the story is published by The Sun, readers start to write in asking if their crying boy paintings could cause their house to burn down. Eventually, the publication adds more to the story, saying that in northern England, there have probably been at least 50,000 crying boy paintings that bear the signature G. Bregolin that have been sold. Possibly 50,000 houses that are primed to burn down because of the crying boy. At that point, readers probably look up from their paper, from their tabloid, they stare at the crying boy with his tear-filled eyes, they gulp, and they panic, and expect their house to burn down. So beyond the threat of house fire, owners also report other mysterious phenomena. So one is that uh, a woman, she claimed that her print would swing from side to side on the wall. Another one, and get ready for this angel. An 11-year-old boy, uh, the woman claims that her son, had caught his private parts on a hook after she bought the picture. I mean, good God. Is this related? Like, was the hook part of the painting or it's just totally different situation? Yeah, I guess like the hook on the back of the frame. I mean... <laughs> I mean, how does that oh, even happen? How's that happen? But it's, <laughs> that's a curse in my book. So another woman, uh, besides the, you know... Hellraiser like incident that the little boy had with that hook. <laughs> Another woman, she says, since I bought it in 1959, my three sons and my husband have all died. I've often wondered if it had a curse. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts so far? I mean, it sounds like these paintings are cursed. Uh -huh. It seems like uh, maybe I'm being a little naive here, but it seems like everything that every object that is supposed to be cursed ends up with somebody dying. Like, yeah. you, you would think a curse could just, like, doesn't have to end in death. It could just be, like, bad things happen to you all the time. Yeah, like the old, you know, like the broken mirror or whatever, like seven yeah. years bad luck. Yeah. I guess that could be a, a curse in a way. She, her, her three sons and husband have all died. Her house didn't burn down, but death all around her. Or is she the cursed one? Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> at this point, I'm sure there's some other items that maybe she owned from 1959 that's also survived her sons and her husband but i guess just the knowledge of all these other people having these incidents with the crying boy paintings then you're, you you know your, your consciousness lacked jumps onto that and you're like oh boy i was here for the ride all along i'm part of the curse so you know you, you hear about it other people having issues and you have a the same exact item and attribute it to bad things in your life we'll see how this goes for the uk so the son claimed, uh, the son, the tabloid, they claimed the original was by an Italian artist. But Giovanni Bregolin, 
is actually a pseudonym adopted by a Spanish painter, Bruno Amadio, also known as Francois Seville. On top of Amadio having more pseudonyms than Stephen King, other artists also at the time are producing their own crying boys that turn up in burned out houses. So it's not just his paintings. And I, I, I think I recall reading of all the crying boy paintings out there, there it was estimated that 125,000 different paintings of crying boys were sold to the UK from like the in the 60s and 70s. They loved it. <laughs> they absolutely loved the crying boy in England. Eventually, the son claimed that it was uh, going to help put an end to the curse and asked that their readers send in crying boy paintings as they were going to put them all in a bonfire and just torch them rather than the, the paintings torching houses. One source that I read said that the son received so many paintings that they had piles that stood over 15 feet high. Supposedly, they got over 2,500 copies of this painting mailed to them. Looking further into it, the book Haunted Liverpool claims that Amadio said that the subject of the paintings was a little street urchin he had found wandering around Madrid in 1969. He never spoke and had a very sorrowful look in his eyes. Amadio painted the boy and a Catholic priest identified him as Don Bonillo, a child who had run away after seeing his parents die in a blaze. The priest told the artist to have nothing to do with the runaway, because wherever he settled, fires of unknown origin would mysteriously break out. The villagers called the boy Diablo because of this. Eventually, Amadio's studio, it burned down, and he accused the boy of arson. The boy then ran off in tears and was never seen again, until car explosion in 1976 the victim angel a body charred beyond recognition but part of his driver's license was only partially burned the name on that license don bonillo and this comes from the uh, website drdavidclark.co.uk angel car explosions house fires why does this crying boy have so much power well i mean he just wanted to be loved like everyone else. He witnesses his parents die in a fire, and then he gets adopted. It's like, great, you know, everything's great. But then the studio accidentally burns down, and he gets spurned by his adoptive uh, parent. And he's like, no, now I must, you know, curse everything. And, yep, that may be just the the, the painting itself of the, the putting down this little street urchin onto canvas. It, it, uh, harness his essence and you know started burning down houses in the uk one thing that i uh have noticed though with this claim from haunted liverpool so they are saying that amadio painted the little boy in 1969 however if you recall the woman who had her husband and three children die she had the crying boy since 1959 she had the painting 10 years before I was painted. So either she is wrong. She has a, not the Giovanni version of the crying boy. She just had a separate, uh, different crying boy that predated his or haunted Liverpool's claim is probably just made up. They never actually spoke to Amadio about this, this Don Bonillo child. That's the Diablo out there dying in a car explosion. Or maybe, well, yeah, it's probably made up because there is another option. 
Don't say John Titor. <laughs> <laughs> no, I already wasted that. Are you familiar with the orphanage? What? I'll, I'll, take, that as, I'll take that as a no. <laughs> oh, the movie? No. No, wait. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you see, you mentioned that the, the crying boy paintings was a series of paintings. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's not just that boy depicted. There's other yeah. children. There's depicted. tons of crying children. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Giovanni Bragolin painted the, the, the crying children from an orphanage. And then he fled to Spain when the orphanage burned down. Why would he flee? Like, like some sort of implication that he caused the orphanage to burn down? That's what I read. <laughs> like, oh, crap. All these kids I've been painting. Now the <laughs> orphanage burns down. I'm yeah. out. <laughs> the orphanage burned down. Everyone died. And it was only Bragolin with his paintings left. Yep. And I think those paintings contain the essence of the orphanage children. And they are the ones that are bringing about these burning houses. Yep. So it's the, a vengeance curse. Yes. Right? Of, of you painted us. And you, you, you've spoiled us. You, not spoiled us. You, you killed us here, yeah, yeah. Giovanni. And uh, we will have our vengeance. Yep. Fact. I mean, I like it. It makes sense to me. <laughs> Why would he flee if he had nothing to do with it? Yep. So the task at hand, Angel, we must rank the concept of cursed paintings. I suppose we must put our trust in the Rubric of Power, Special Collector's Edition, yep. and see how this goes. Our first curios being graded by the Rubric. So our first category, lore. So just a, a combination of, of both, but just the general idea of cursed paintings. Uh, what, what, do you, what was your grading on lore of the cursed paintings? I think the lore for cursed paintings is... It is fascinating because... Obviously, every cursed painting is going to have its own little story. Mm-hmm. And and relatively, like, deep backstory, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like maybe the the crime boy one is not super deep. I mean, either, either the boy died in a car in a fire mm-hmm. and the painting's cursed, or an orphan is burned down and the painting's cursed, right? There, yeah. I haven't seen any other variations on that. But the hands resistant one is interesting because there's two backstories. There's the actual story of the painting, and then there's the one of the eBay uh, sellers adding the, the fact that it's haunted. I mean, if you want to add on to it, you could just... If, if, if you could just say it's cursed, if it's haunted, that one painting, the fact is that Stoneham was then commissioned to make a sequel to the hands that resist them. And then there's another sequel made. Mm-hmm. And then there was a prequel made. And they're all very fascinating paintings, by the way. So we could easily say that the whole series, the whole set is haunted slash cursed. And then just come up with its own backstory. In that sense, you know, I like the idea of, of having these backstories, but you can only go so far with them. So... I pointed it at 2.5. 2.5. I, I took a, a different look at it here, I think, or maybe overvalued it. <laughs> uh, just like all paintings, right? <laughs> um, so I think for me, what drives the entire idea of these cursed paintings is like these stories, if these stories didn't exist, most likely, I'd say 99.9%, 
no one would know what the hell the hands resistant painting is. It would not have ever been anything if these stories didn't surround that painting. Likewise, the the crying boy uh, paintings in the UK of, you know, the the sun tabloid starts writing about him, and instantly then like the huge popularity uh, surrounding an object that a lot of households had, um, and then this whole idea of oh my god, all these house fires. And then I started to think, researching it, like, why are there so many house fires in the UK? What the hell is going on? <laughs> and the idea that this painting is the only thing that gets left behind. Some things that I've read about it being that maybe the, like, if it was hung up on a string, the string would be the first thing that burned. And then the, the protective coating on the paintings was the thing that, as it fell, it fell face first. And then the coating on the paintings protected it from the, the blaze. It never got hot enough to actually burn through that coating. A possibility or they're hella haunted or cursed <laughs> and the orphanage yeah. the orphanage wanted its revenge you know it adds a lot to it the when i was looking at the haunted liverpool sort of scenario to me it, i don't know it felt it didn't feel what could have happened as far as like oh i brought in this boy from the orphanage diablo and no one no <laughs> other kid wanted him and the priest said don't don't even talk to him it's diablo <laughs> yeah. and he still went along and painted it i don't know it, it didn't to me, it would have made more sense if he was just painting, like, boys and not adopting them and things like that. It, it didn't make, I don't know yeah. why he went to that length to, like, bring this child into his own life if he was just an, an artist painting boys with tears in their eyes. We don't want to go down that path. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's <laughs> there's stories about the paintings, and it's the a neat little set of lore behind them. The whole eBay portion of the hands resist them. I thought that was just neat, uh, a cool aspect of the story. And you had mentioned the the prequel painting, uh, specifically the story spawned the the request from that came from Zach Baggins of Ghost Adventures fame, okay. and he has the painting displayed in his haunted museum, claiming that it is also haunted. Oh, look at that! And there have been reports of people that uh, have gone to the uh, to his museum. And standing in front of the painting, they feel like a negative energy. They feel uh, getting touched, things like that. So the the saga lives on. <laughs> and yeah, and and you know, the popularity of the hands resist them. There's even a book written based on true events is on the cover. <laughs> That's always my favorite. Those <laughs> based true on events, true events. The true events being that there was an eBay auction of a cursed painting. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how the book starts off. Um, I bought the book, by the way, ninety nine cents on Kindle. You can't, you can't get can't beat worse that. Than that. Um, Even if that book's cursed, it's worth it. <laughs> the value it's got, alone. It's, it's got the painting on its cover, so of course it's cursed. That gallery owner, she paid a thousand dollars or a thousand twenty five dollars for that painting. You paid ninety nine cents and have the picture on a book. Yeah. You got the you got the picture and the book. So I mean, you made out like a bandit. Does this sound like a curse to me? And I, I believe I also read that there is a, a screenplay in the works for oh a movie my. related to to the painting. So oh, you know, I I'm gonna be there when that comes out for sure. <laughs> Work on added that to my screenplay. <laughs> Get it into the yeah. to the. It's in the cave with the <laughs> yeah. cocoa plants. Yeah. <laughs> What's this painting doing in here? There is a whole like <laughs> subplot of the painting. I mean, it writes itself. Yep. I don't know. I I thought the the lore of it all, especially with the sun, uh, they had like issue after issue after issue until it died down, and they set them all aflame in a in a bonfire. To me, 
the sun, I think, made up the entire story to sell papers, but that's here nor there. But it's still part of the lore. I, I gave it a four. Oh. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that going around the newspapers trying to get more readerships by coming up with stories, I've noticed. Well, specifically in this one, I read that they had a competing tabloid that they're trying to outsell. And they the editor wanted a story that resonated with a lot of people. And they were like, the a lot of people have this crying boy picture. And, <laughs> and then it like stemmed from there. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know the veracity of that reporting, but... How about properties? <laughs> Where are you on the? So the I guess the properties of cursed paintings, and I'm I'm I guess I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it because we haven't really talked about prior to like this recording of how we would even do properties <laughs> of a cursed painting. So I'm excited of how you read into it. Well, for me, properties would include symptoms of the curse based on these two paintings that we dealt with. I mean, the curse can be anything. In in the, in the first painting, the curse is the characters are coming <laughs> are coming out of the painting and fighting and causing a ruckus, I guess, to a four and a half year old. But it seems to me that the curse affects people more through the internet than it does somebody that owns a painting. Right? The the internet viewers were the ones that felt ill, at ease, and other. Exorcist voice. Strange (laughs) phenomena of viewing the painting through their computer screens. And I guess, as you mentioned, having the the, the prequel painting in the the Haunted Mansion, people are also experiencing some sort of getting feelings of being touched. So those, that's one, the properties for that particular painting. But for the other one, it seems that things are burning down. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, you have the painting in your house, it's going to burn down eventually. (laughs) But not that painting. But not the painting. No, the painting will remain untouched. In a sense, it's kind of like if you want to, you know, commit some sort of uh, insurance fraud, but not have it be fraud. Just put your painting up and the fire will just happen. And it's like nobody can trace it back to you because mm-hmm. it'll be totally accidental. <laughs> <laughs> and and don't waste your time getting the the painting insured. It's not going to burn. So <laughs> you just pick it up and Save take some it money. to the next place. <laughs> We've struck gold here. <laughs> just line your house with, well, here's another thought. Because I was going to say just line your house with crying boy paintings and it'll just catch a flame instantly then. Just, just make the house <laughs> What if you build paintings? your house out of the paintings? <laughs> then it's impervious to flame. It I won't, mean, it won't, it won't burn. burn down, but it will be permanently on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and then they also have a, a house made out of paintings of a crying Cry boy. boy. So... <laughs> Just there's some, there's some, crying. some some give and take in this scenario that's <laughs> pros and cons man i kind of want to change my score i gave it a two it's adequate you know the properties mm-hmm. you know every it depends on the curse you're looking for you know you I, I could maybe i should open up a shop where i sell you know various cursed paintings and then you come in and asking what kind of curse you're looking for oh i, I want my girlfriend's <laughs> hair to fall out oh i got the painting <laughs> just for you you know how would you sell that, though? Wouldn't the shop burn down? That's what I was thinking. I'm thinking you got to encase the painting in some sort of protective seal <laughs> that prevents the curse from coming uh-huh. out. And then, yeah, and then the place would be hella cursed, too. Like, 
the women would come in and their hair would fall out. And then <laughs> <laughs> every all imagine all the cursed paintings in one place, just everything goes goes to hell. <laughs> nope, not gonna not going in that store. <laughs> no, thank you. So the property is on my side. To me, the the property at hand is, is just the curse. So negative things happen in the presence of these items. I mean, hell, a child got a picture hook in his nether regions. So, again, that's pretty <laughs> damn cursed to me. Yeah. House is burning down. That seems potent. I guess regardless of these things are actually causing this to occur, then the objects are still being attributed, like the, the curse is being attributed to these paintings. So there's a belief in the curse. I think in my in my book, just the... The belief of a curse is enough for a lot of people to shy away from an object, to not even deal with it. So yeah. maybe just the idea of like giving power to something that it shouldn't have power intrinsically within it. But, you know, people are believing in it. For the properties, I gave it a two and a half. So we were close. Yeah. So this one's an interesting one. The functionality and or purpose of a curse painting. <laughs> Go. <laughs> well... It's to, clearly to curse whoever owns it, mm-hmm. I would assume. Not to curse the painting itself. That's weird. That wouldn't make any sense. In this case, for a cursed painting, the purpose is to, I guess, because it's a curse, you're going to create harm to whoever's owning it. And as I mean, clearly illustrated just now there's no way to contain this curse i can't hold the shop of various cursed paintings because the curse is free to roam mm-hmm. it, well here, here's an idea too like in your shop of curses does it like end at the doorway can the curse slither its way it's out bound, like the, it's yeah. bound by the walls <laughs> bound by your your least property yeah <laughs> it's so, so the purpose of the curse, so for example, the, I just said that it's to, to harm whoever's owning it, but that's pretty generic. Like, for example, the crying boy curse, either the orphanage one or the, or the Don Bonillo one seems to be kind of like a revenge type thing. Um, so that mm-hmm. the purpose of, of that curse is to get revenge on, you know, the death of the, and the, and truly the the purpose the vengeance was on the artist not the on the right purchaser so the fact that he doesn't even get vengeance on the artist i mean shouldn't yeah, the curse he lives just, he lives scot-free shouldn't the curse <laughs> just stop you know it failed its purpose and and for the other painting i mean that curse doesn't seem to have a purpose the, the characters come to life and fight like what is that okay <laughs> who's that meant to affect i don't know yeah, you got like Beauty and the Beast scenario over here, like candlestick <laughs> coming to life, and it scares a little girl. Like, I oh, guess they made some money out of it, though. But still, there's something uh, uniquely fascinating about having a painting that you can curse because, oh, this person's going to own it. You know, the the, the generic of, of somebody owning it being affected by the curse. I gave this a 1.5. Yeah, yeah. For me, the uh, I I think I took a different look at it of the purpose of it just being art. So the original purpose of the paintings, completely void of any malicious intent to imbue the object with a curse, like nothing was intended to be cursed. It just sort of happened. Like yeah. neither artist went in with the intention of screw these orphans. 
uh, I'm burning down houses. <laughs> like, <laughs> unless that was Giovanni's plan, that's why he fled <laughs> Italy. I'm out. Yeah. Um, but no indication of that. The initial purpose was just the intrinsic value of art, and everything was attributed afterwards. So for me, the functionality and purpose of cursed paintings, I get a one and a half as well. And now a maybe extremely subjective <laughs> portion of the uh, rubric of power, specifically in relation to cursed paintings, the yeah. craftsmanship of cursed paintings. Yeah. I mean, since they're paintings, like you said just now, it's art. So how do you how do you critique art, right? The 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 technique. The last one that critiqued it died. <laughs> and he gave it a good rating. <laughs> oh no, I need to really redo my score. Well So for I guess for this craftsmanship, like I, I mentioned earlier, Stoneham's paintings, I I love his style. They look great. So I mean I'd easily give him a four. But we're not just rating him. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, did you know his wife? You, earlier you mentioned his first wife, so I'm assuming this is his second wife. <laughs> his second wife, Patty Nelson Stoneham, is also a painter. And she does paintings. They're, they're nice. <laughs> not cursed. <laughs> not cursed. Not cursed. Yeah, so back uh, craftsmanship. I, I like the, the, the good paintings. They're nice. I would mm-hmm. definitely own one. I I. I really like the self-portrait 2037 one, mm-hmm. but there's no way I'm hanging that anywhere up here. <laughs> <laughs> Not in this room, at least. Um, as for the crying boy paintings, that one is like, I don't really want children crying. <laughs> you don't want crying boys. <laughs> What's weird is apparently these paintings are very popular. Yes, like they sold hundreds, thousands of, of them. People like these. I have no idea why. I mean, little boys crying. It, doesn't I don't get it <laughs> in this in this case for the crime boy painting I'm gonna go further his craftsmanship is excelling because they cannot be destroyed no oh, I didn't think of that no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um so I originally had uh, um scored the two paintings individually so merging the two scores i have an average of a three three okay that's that's reasonable yeah i took the look at it of that we are entering the world of being art critics now we have new jobs (laughs) one thing that i saw in my research of crying boy specifically was that it was seemingly like really shit on by art critics at the time as Mm -hmm. it being like very low brow art and like a, a true art connoisseur would never be caught with a crying boy in their house, uh-huh. <laughs> especially a painting of a crying boy. So I, uh, I, they look fine to me. I mean, I, I don't know. They, yeah. I can't paint better than Giovanni's crying boy. So, and again, Stonehams I think are are really interesting. Just like the hands on the on the glass. Like it, yeah. it invokes a lot of I don't know emotion and intrigue, a yeah. lot of curiosity. I I played it safe on this one because I was hemming and hawing on like the craftsmanship of like it's just a painting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I went with a two and a half. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> and our final category for collector's edition rubric of mm-hmm. power, desirability. So that's for collectors. And 
I mean, they're paintings. Yeah. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're highly desirable, but I'm going to go based on my, um, on me personally. I don't want cursed paintings, period. <laughs> Stoneham's art, man, really speaks to me. I'm willing, <laughs> I'm willing to take that chance. You're willing to take the hit yeah, of so. the, the contents coming out and uh, fighting in your room. Yeah. So it's a, you know, I gave it a, an adequate two. Two, yeah. For me, specifically, like I, I stuck on this portion of Zach Baggins and him requesting that the, uh, the prequel be made. So he, he paid specifically for the prequel to uh, to put in his museum. Just, I mean, just based on the like stories that came out of it, he painted, what, two others. So there's four paintings in the entire series. Like, desirability, just from this story alone, required that people wanted more paintings out of it. Looking further into it as well, the buyer of the eBay auction, there have been a lot of offers to purchase the original painting, which she has not agreed to at all i think one maybe if it was even zach himself but somebody said that they wanted to purchase the original painting for somewhere in the low six digit value numbers uh, for the painting yep yeah the Jeez. i guess the low six digits so th- the va- yeah <laughs> a one and a bunch of zeros um just like all art there is uh subjective value to it yeah. But people want it. And as far as like the, the crying boys, there are so many people that had the painting in their houses. They're afraid that their houses are burned down because of what the sun was re- reporting. So again, estimated possibly 125,000 being sold of just various different artists selling crying boys in the sixties and seventies in the UK. So I settled on a three for desirability. Maybe mm-hmm. th- they were never, for the crying boy side of it, not knowingly cursed, but it's still cursed. People still bought it. On the flip side, Stoneham's paintings n- reportedly cursed or haunted, and people wanted them. So yep. they got both sides of the, the coin for cursed items. So yeah, a three for desirability. Now, these uh, the crying boy paintings, how many are there left now? Do you know? Probably too many. <laughs> One is too many crying boys left. <laughs> because I, I, I ran into uh, a thing that said that the sun organized a massive bonfire. Yeah, yeah, they, they tried to, they burned them. Yeah. Like, so what I read was that they, they only got 2,500 mailed into them. Oh. So there's still, there's still <laughs> a bunch the low out number there. Of 2,500. <laughs> I also read like that they're having issues with the, like, Originally, they wanted to burn them at the, on the on the roof of the building, and then the fire department's like, "Yo, what the hell is this shit? Burning them on the building? No way!" <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, if they had done that, and then the building catches fire, would they have attributed it to the curse? <laughs> no, yep. So I think eventually they settled that they burned them next to the River Thames, and uh, or Thames, and that was the last I read into it. Because they they stopped reporting on the yeah the fires the mysteriously yeah. stopped <laughs> yeah they they solved it so <laughs> <laughs> or readers' interest waned you know either yeah. one <laughs> so what is your total uh, for the rubric a power collector's edition of cursed paintings so my total is eleven mine is a little bit higher at thirteen and a half so I'll put our combined scores into the special algorithm from the collector's edition rubric of power. It says 
that Curse Paintings, our first curio being ranked here on the show, a score of 12.25 wow. out of a possible 20. So a good job for Curse Paintings, I would say. And that is the same score that John Titer got. Oh, they're still connected. The curse continues. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I think in, in this aspect, though, as a, a first ranking of this entity for the season, on the curio side of it, you know, we're going to put the crown on top of this curse painting, on top of the crying boy. Maybe he'll stop crying. <laughs> if you want a trophy. <laughs> yeah. And maybe we can hope that the, the little girl, the little boy, will come out of the painting from Stoneham's painting and accept the crown. And next time we see it, there'll be something <laughs> added to the painting. <laughs> Maybe that would be uh, interesting. I'm going to commission Stoneham to redo the painting <laughs> with one little addition painting, to it. Paint a crown on the boy. <laughs> I have a, a crown and a teardrop, so it could be yep. a crime boy as well. <laughs> we'll start a crowdfunding uh, <laughs> to, to purchase this. Yeah. <laughs> the crying boy. <laughs> combine all the curses into one painting. Oh, shit. That's what Just, I'm about. Just combining everything. <laughs> get, like, Dorian Gray in there, too. Just do it all. So, any last words on curse paintings before we put the sheets over the painting so never no one ever looks at it again? Uh, oh, my only last words is that there are many more curse paintings out there. At least from what I've seen. Oh, yes. Yeah. And we just scratched the surface. Yeah. Sir. So... I'm hoping that we can eventually get to all of them at some point in the future mm-hmm. and cover what kind of curses are built into these things. Yep. Season three, curse paintings. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, it, uh, it was a neat thing to look into. I never really thought of, you know, paintings being cursed. Besides, I, I just mentioned, you know, the, the picture Dorian Gray. Yeah. Classic story, but uh, more so his own doings of putting that curse into the painting but uh yeah a neat little story learned a lot of things about art learned a lot of things about the value of art and that uk people love crying boys to put on their walls (laughs) and and maybe perhaps the haunted painting backstory really does add to its mystique because i keep finding myself drawn to that hands resist them and i'm keep thinking because of the haunting thing I'm like wait it's not haunted for real what, what am i doing <laughs> <laughs> you're getting drawn into it I'm you're getting uh, drawn in you're enthralled by the paint the yeah. paint was really infused with something <laughs> so uh you had told me angel right before we started filming this episode a new listener has contacted us based on this unique entity that has been spotted in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, of this, of this unique, laughing, entity. What's what do we have? So we got another report, and apparently my, the the previous report's extremely vague description, kind of clicked with this person, and they said that they've heard something similar of of maybe not this particular one, in this cave. Or dungeon, whatever it is that they the term they used, but they they heard something similar, and maybe it came from Russian folklore or something. But this this creature also has a female mate with him. She actually looks more human than than the creature itself that that she's found paired with. 
<laughs> which is strange. I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to get at, but they're saying that the 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 the, the female mate is found hanging out with this weird-looking creature thing, whatever that implies. Like a real Beauty and the Beast scenario going on here. Yeah, that's that's the kind of vibe I got. Um, they they apparently they they like to dig dig around for shiny things in the dirt. I uh, I mean this is interesting. So we're we're crossing continents on this entity of I mean maybe some Baba Yaga influence here. Maybe of of uh, this female entity being in relations with this laughing creature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then what the hell is it doing here? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I don't want to keep wanting to uh, describe the creature. I'm just going to give him like a short name, like a Bob, right? Bob. Or like a full name instead of Bob. It's like a Robert kind of thing, you know? Just call him Robert. Let's just call him Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, right? Robert. Sure. Well, I mean, it sounds it sounds too too much like a human name. Let's say Robort instead. Robert. <laughs> Robort. Uh, um, I don't know if I'd ever want to encounter anything named Robort. <laughs> I mean, it sounds pretty interesting to me. Who knows what we're going to find out next time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so if you could, again, Angel, give for our listeners, if anybody's in Florida, out and about at night or <laughs> traveling about and and hear a specific sound, this is what was relayed to us of what this entity sounds like. Yeah, so you might hear like a rustling in the bushes, and then, and then, what sounds like a, a laugh that's like. Ah, 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 ah. I mean, I'm already getting vibes of Mothman and the Sandhill Crane, <laughs> but we're gonna look deeper. Hopefully, uh, the listener that contacted us can get us some more information. I mean, we might have to do a expedition. You might, yes. Search for this legendary Robert. A road show, if you will. To look into this, I mean, it's intriguing. <laughs> what kind of cryptid laughs or makes that noise like that? I I interpret it as a, like a laugh, but maybe it's the mating call. Maybe. Uh, it's been displaced here. Didn't think it needs to that. find its mate. So I'm gonna have to lure lure them out with like lentils or something. Go the skunk ape route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With the newly named robot investigation underway, next episode we will be looking into a. A new entity, a new cryptid. See if it can somehow overcome the powerhouse known as Santa Claus and take the crown because good luck, anybody else this season. <laughs> I don't know if it can be done. Season two started out strong for cryptids. Uh, <laughs> Santa Claus just absurdly overpowered. So on the next episode, we have a Japanese entity. So we're again exploring outside the United States. The Tsuchiniko, a snake-like being prevalent in Western Japan. So we'll see what the deal is with this entity. Does it have any relation to the Mongolian death worm? I'm intrigued just based on the physical appearance. And we'll see how that goes. But is that good or bad? I'm not sure. (laughs) Better not electrocute me. (laughs) Or spit acid. Or spit poison. Or spit electricity. Yeah, whatever it does. All the above, all at once. Some mega beam that it shoots out. We'll see how it stands up against Santa Claus, if it can spoil Christmas and make all the children sad. There'd be more crying boys to be painted if the Tsuchinoko wins, so we'll see what happens. 
and make sure to tweet at us at cracking curios with hashtag crack cryptids and follow us on instagram with at cracking cryptids and if you want to send any questions about anything you hear on this podcast make sure you include at carl shooker because i'm sure he's dying to know what uh we are talking about and maybe he can provide us with some better answers hey the man has written like 300 books we got to give him some more content right they're helping him out he just released one i think Mm -hmm. he's a man on a mission to just fill libraries yeah maybe maybe he'll know something about the upcoming cryptid Mm -hmm. maybe (laughs) retroactively add things into santa claus too (laughs) you never know what carl (laughs) choker's gonna do he has notes for everything All right, then. Cursed paintings. Get that buckle. This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. This is my sad song.